0: Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director of Information Security Media Group. We're talking about the state of banking. We're talking with Kathleen Kerala, Managing Director and Practice Leader with Tower Group's Banking Practice. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. We all listened to the President the other night, and I want to ask you up front, what's the significance of President Obama paying so much attention to banks in his first address to the American people?
1: I, well, I think the significance uh, is, is pretty clear. Um, the financial system in the United States and the banking system in the United States are what holds so much of the economy together. It, if he hadn't addressed those issues, um, I think it would have been a, a, a glaring oversight. As he's talking about how we're going to pull the country into an, uh, an economic recovery out of a recession, And how we move that forward, he has to address the the basic building blocks of the economy, and and that is the financial institutions that form the banking system. So, the significance is he's focusing on the actual building blocks of the economic structure. He had to do that, and so, um, you know, I I think the significance is he spoke about the right topic at the right time.
0: This sort of sets the tone about how banking is very much going to be on this administration's agenda, wouldn't you say?
1: Well, I, I do, and um, and banking in a very very broad sense. Uh, sometimes people think of banking as being um, a consumer activity of going down to your local branch and and taking money out of the ATM or putting something in your safe deposit box, and, and that is banking. But when the, he's addressing the American people and talking about the banking system, he's going well beyond that, and he's talking about the activities that are involved in commercial banking. Um, can small businesses get credit? Um, can they make payroll? Um, it's also talking about investment banking and um, how new projects that are important um, to organizations, to um, to companies, um, how do they how do they get the funding for that? In the past, it's been something that's been it's been worked through investment banking or commercial banking. So, it, you know, it, it, it's not just the consumer. Um, it, he's looking at the whole big structure of how things get done in this country and how projects get funded and businesses expand and um, municipalities think about building new roads. All of that comes from the capital markets, and and so he's addressing that whole big picture.
0: Now, the administration in general, and the the Treasury Secretary in particular, got some criticism a couple of weeks back for coming forward with with an announcement that didn't have a lot of details to it. So I wanted to ask you about the capital assistance program. If you compare that to the previous administration's TARP. What do you see as as key differences between them
1: well um, you know um secretary Geithner did take a lot of heat and perhaps unfairly and uh, and I say that because what they're trying to do is put together a program that has a lot of moving parts and um to to if to not have all the details in place is it, probably not unrealistic it it's i think it was more important that uh he reassured people that they were working on it. But, but to go back to the, the, the question of the comparison between CAP and TARP, if you think back to those days um, of uh, the, the early fall uh, into mid-fall, TARP was mandated um, in the sense that um, the first wave of, of TARP funding was Secretary Paulson, uh, Secretary of the Treasury at the time, calling and the banking chiefs and saying, this is something we need to talk about. Um, you are all going to sign up for TARP money, uh, whether you think you need it or not. And if you t- sign up for it today, um, there will be re- repercussions if you decide that you need the capital infusion later on. So it was, it was not voluntary. It was very much kind of a, we're in a serious situation and we're going to do this because we need to prop up the safety and and soundness. Of the U.S. banking system. So it was very much a, a top-down this is what we're going to do. And that was the first wave of TARP. There was a second wave of TARP funding that was um, uh, not so much focused on those top ten banks um, but was focused on, on other institute, other sized institution going much smaller. And they were allowed to, to sign up for TARP funds um, as they thought was appropriate for their needs um, in, in, after having some discussions with uh, the regulators. When you look at the capital assistance program, it's very different. Um, It's still very um, mandated uh, in in that regard, but this is more of a program where the stress testing comes into play. Um, Regulators are saying, we're going to take a look at your capital um, positions and we're going to make sure that you have sufficient capital under a number of different scenarios. And if it looks like you're not going to have what you need, um, then we think that you should definitely apply for these cap funds and and not delay. And, and there's a, a cutoff point for doing that. So it, it it's a little bit different in the sense that um, institutions will be will not have to be guessing whether or not they need the funds, which was kind of the the, the way TARP started. Um, this is the stress testing piece where. Um, they'll be looking at different financial scenarios, d- different economic scenarios, and trying to determine whether or not the banks have sufficient capital to carry on their daily operations. If not, then, then cap kicks in. So I, I think it's, a, it's just a very different way of looking at um, the the circumstances. In the early fall, it needed to have, um, you know, the, the banking system needed to have that happen. This is more a matter of the individual banks um, being able to, to see what they need and uh, having it based on Um, a a set of metrics that have been set up by Treasury.
0: You mentioned the stress testing there, which has started. Uh, What should banks expect in their examinations this year? Is it all going to be about fiscal safety and soundness? Is there going to be a lot of emphasis on information security and risk management as well? What's your sense?
1: You know, I I think that the examinations are going to be, um, and and I I don't want to imply that they haven't been, Uh, rigorous in the past. Um, I I wouldn't want to insinuate that at all. I I do think that they have been rigorous in the past, but I think that they're going to go the the extra mile in this case. I think that um, the examiners will be coming in looking at a broad array of of issues, and they will um, perhaps scratch a little deeper than they have in the past. Um, They've always asked for a broad set of information to try to understand What's going on in terms of the institution? This time, I think that they'll kind of, they'll dig down to a deeper level and um, look for more um, backup data or, or more data that that uh, explains the, the uh, financial position of the institution, or that looks at the policies and how those policies are being carried out, operational policies. Um, I do think that there will be um, a more intense focus on the financial performance of the institutions, but. Given what's been going on um, in in terms of financial information security, um, there have been some very interesting and uh, noteworthy breaches over the past uh, couple of months, and it's a a trend that um, is concerning. Um, When you start talking about the big picture, which is let's let's, um, establish and and, um, reinforce the safety, soundness of the U.S. banking system. If there continue to be data breaches, that's that's going to undermine that. So I do think that information security is going to be um, a, a large part of all of this. It, it's almost as though um, um, uh, the, the, the mental image I have is uh, the little Dutch boy putting his, his fingers in the dike. Um, I think that's pretty much what's going to happen. I think that regulators are going to try to look at the entire wall that's been built to hold back um problems in the financial system, and they're going to be looking at all the possible points of leakage, and so I think it's going to be a more intense um, examination than it has been in the past. It's not going to be just one point of weakness that they're worried about. There are going to be several that are out there.
0: They also might find out that a lot of Dutch boys have been laid off in recent months. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Kathleen, from your perspective, what would you say? I mean, you see large institutions. You see community institutions. What is the state of banking right now in the U.S.?
1: Well, um, I, I think that what we're going to see is um, a lot of conservatism in, in the banking industry. I, I think that um, I've heard a lot of bankers across the spectrum of size talking about going back to basics and making sure that we're doing the right things at the right time for customers, whether they be corporates or for consumers, and, and, and I think that there's there's... A good sense of of uh, of moving in the right direction by doing that. Um, it allows organizations to to think about what their basic business model is and how can they execute it um, more competently, more professionally, more um, with more responsiveness to customers. So I think that there's going to be this back to basics mentality that that's going on. Um, at the same time, I think that there are going to be a handful of institutions that start to rethink what they're doing and why. And they may actually make some significant changes um, in, in their operations as a result. You're going to find some institutions that think about uh, perhaps moving away from some of their uh, uh, lines of business or initiatives that they've had in the past that no longer work for them. That's, that happens probably more in the bigger institutions that are looking at, at shedding some of their lines of business. But I think it's it's we're going to see conservatism for the most part, kind of back to basics. Um, let's focus on the business of banking and do it um, and execute against that business model as, as, as competently, professionally as possible. One of the things that, um, that may be a wild, well, it's not so much a wild card, but um, one of the things that I think will kind of keep that sense of conservatism, conservatism going is um, the fact that there's far more oversight. Um, there's oversight from the government, um, there's oversight from regulators, and then there's also a lot more oversight and sensitivity coming from um, the general press. Um, I, I think that banks are really very, very self-conscious right now, which is another reason why they'll be, they'll continue to be uh, somewhat conservative in what they do and, and how they do it. Um, so I, I guess what I... I Expect is that we're not going to see major, major new product announcements. I don't think we're going to see um, uh, uh, organizations, you know, betting the ranch on some new initiative. I just don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to be in kind of a, a low, um, kind of a, a, a low-key mode. Uh, I think banks are going to try and stay under the radar as much as possible.
0: Do you think we'll see a wave of bank failures as we've seen in earlier? economic downturns, or we are going to keep sort of the, the lower pace that we're at right now?
1: Well, um, we're, we're on pace. Uh, we've, we've seen quite a few um, in the past. You know, if you go back to uh, maybe July of 2008, the pace has picked up significantly. And in 2009, we've also seen um, quite a few banks that have been uh, taken over by the FDIC. Um, every Friday afternoon, it's always interesting to see how much activity there has
0: that's been. Right. The Friday at 5:05 Eastern.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, what has the federal, uh, the FDIC, been up to? But um, you know, the the institutions there are typically are, are rather small, um, and um, that's. I think a good thing. We haven't seen really large institutions falling onto, or being involved. Um, The last really large institution we've seen that's been uh, involved with the FDIC was um, IndyMac, and uh, uh, we haven't seen anything like that since, um, uh, since that was taken over in, uh, um, I think it was August of uh, 2008. So that's, that's a good sign that it's not the larger institutions. It's the smaller institutions, um, it's smaller institutions that are on the FDIC watch list. I do think we'll continue to see a wave of those throughout the year. Um, that It just makes sense that institutions that have been poorly capitalized or that have been in risky lines of business um, will, will find that they have gotten themselves into trouble and they're going to need assistance to get out of that trouble. So I, I do think we'll continue to see that in 2009.
0: Now, the term that's come up an awful lot in the last couple of weeks and has been debated, debated back and forth is this this term of nationalization of banks. If so you've, you've got the government investing more capital in banks and, and taking more ownership, that you're, you're going closer to a, a nationalized model. I want to get your thoughts on this. One, are we headed there? What are some of the pros and cons to this, and, and what do you see happening? Are we going to get to a degree of nationalized banks?
1: Well, you know, it's... It, um I guess it's all depends on how you define nationalization. Um, under under TARP, uh there were um, uh injections of capital into those institutions and in return um, preferred shares of uh the institutions uh were sold to the government um, to to treasury. Um, you know, there was, but those were non-voting shares. So I guess you could say that those, because they were non-voting shares, in in, in essence, that was not a nationalization. That that in TARP, um, under CAP, it also appears that um, the initial um, any any banks that sign up for the capital assistance program will be taking or will be issuing uh, pre- preferred non-voting shares as well. Um, there is an option to convert those to common shares, but uh, initially, it looks like they're going to be preferred non-voting. So. You know, nationalization is—that's um, a tough sell in the United States. Um, if you look at other countries around the world, uh, nationalization is not—it's um, it, not seen as being quite as um, as fearsome as it is in the United States. And so, um, the UK has had some serious nationalization of their banks going on, um, and uh, it, it's been a, a pretty aggressive move by their government. And by their financial services um, authority to to really prop up their uh, banking um, uh, system. But you look at the United States, and we have um, 8,000 banks in the United States, something like that, um, you know, give or take uh, a couple. Um, it, it would be impossible for the United States to really nationalize a, a grand swath of the U.S. banking system. Uh, it would just be impossible to manage. So, I think that what we're seeing in terms of CAP and um, as a follow-on to TARP is uh, let's inject capital, let's take preferential shares that, that will give the U.S. taxpayer some upside um, as we move into a recovery. Uh, but let's try to stay away from nationalization as much as possible um, because it's it's not necessarily practical uh, to, for. Uh, the U.S. government to be so deeply involved in the financial um, and operational um, details of, of running some of these larger institutions. It, it would be really hard to do so. Um, I think that by, um, you know, so from a, from a con, if you will, I, I would say that the con is that it would be very difficult to, to truly nationalize um a large number of, of especially large banks um, the other challenge that we have is that if you start talking about smaller banks um, they're geographically dispersed all over the country and um, that complicates the, the whole management issue somewhat um, so I think that for those reasons and the fact that from a political uh, uh, point of view we really in this country don't like the idea of nationalization it's, it's really something that will be avoided at all costs and um, but at the same time, I think what we're seeing is that with CAP as a follow-on to TARP, uh, Treasury is trying to thread the needle uh, and to find a happy medium where they can inject capital into these institutions, provide some upside uh, for the U.S. taxpayer, and have a degree of influence over the uh, the financial institutions without necessarily having a direct voting management uh, responsibility for the institutions. I think that they're really trying just to thread the needle and to walk the line between um, nationalization and being completely hands-off.
0: Do so you think ultimately the U.S. government doesn't want to get into the banking business?
1: Oh, I, yeah, definitely. Um, that it, it, it's, it's a very complex business in, in this country. We have so many institutions. Um, <laughs> if we were to do any um, nationalization, even if it were just one or two banks, it would take an enormous amount of management talent that we don't necessarily have on staff uh, in government today. So in in essence, uh, big government, if you think it's big today, it would definitely get bigger if we would go the nationalization route.
0: Now, a few minutes ago, Kathleen, you talked about some of the well-publicized data breaches, and I think that the name that we all know better than any of these days is is Heartland Payment Systems. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the impact of this breach? Because I guess it kind of astounds me in some ways how people have picked up on this and really rallied behind it. This has become probably the the most publicized breach that I've seen. What's the is, is it timing as much as anything? What's the impact of this breach? And I guess my follow up is are banks fa- finally mad as hell and not going to take it anymore with breaches like these that happen outside their institutions and yet they're left having to to contact their customers and replace their cards and and take the heat for it.
1: Right. Well um there, there's definitely, um, um, you know, there, if you think about it, there, there's the, the the processors like Heartland involved. There are the banks, and then ultimately there are the consumers, and uh, the impact is um, different for each each of those constituencies within the the the, uh, the payments world. Um, you know, if we were to focus on 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 the banks they probably are uh, mad as hell in the sense that it forces them to do things that they would really rather not do at a time when consumer confidence in the banks is not high to begin with. Um, with all the talk that's gone on about um, uh, oh, you know, everything from executive compensation to how did we get into these um, situations in the first place and how did lenders make such so many bad loans and how many... How were so many bad decisions made by banks? Uh, consumers are really questioning, you know, the the, the, the capabilities of banks, um, it just in terms of being able to manage the business. So, at a time when consumers are are feeling uneasy about the um, the the capabilities of bankers in general, these breaches are, um, and whether it's something like Heartland, which happened. Um, within the payment system outside of the bank itself or whether it's a data breach that happens inside the bank. Either way, it's all bad news. Um, And so I do think that the banks are mad as hell. I also think that they are um, concerned as hell about making sure that these um, situations uh, don't come back up or or don't come up uh, (laughs) or don't... um, just don't occur. Now, you know, I think there's a lot of concern within the banks uh, around um, information security and PCI, and, and that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, if you were to ask a banker, um, you know, what do these breaches mean for your business, And they're, they're going to tell you. It, it just makes their job harder day in and day out to reestablish confidence with consumers. Um, so, you know, if... if uh, um, I think if you were to give a banker a wish list for, for 2009, one of the things he would probably say is, I want to fly under the radar. I don't want to be in the newspapers because I'm, I'm having to lay people off. I don't want to be in the newspapers because I'm taking huge losses. I don't want to be in the newspapers because I have a data breach internally or I have a data breach in, in the payments um, environment that I'm associated with. They just want to fly under the radar as much as possible. So um, I, I, I think that that's more the issue. is trying to just manage bad news and so that there is a lot less bad news that's going to be um, uh, you know rolling across people's desktops if they're reading their news online or if they're watching it on television or if they're reading it in, in a newspaper they just want to stay away from um, from having their names associated with those kinds of things any kind of a misstep
0: well it's interesting because the you know in two months so far this year banks have been anything but under the radar we've had, Heartland right. certainly. We've had um, you know, the new administration come in with, with banking recovery, a big part of the agenda. Just based on what we've seen so far, Kathleen, what would you say the top two or three storylines for banking as we go through two thousand and nine?
1: Well, you know, uh, if I were to look at it from the, the big picture of of everything that goes on within banks, I would say that there is um, the, the, the major story from the consumer aspect is winning back consumer trust and confidence. I think that that's really what the larger banks, uh, no, actually banks of all sizes, are going to be working on in 2009. Uh, trying to avoid bad news. Um, I, I happen to live in Los Angeles. Um, Northern Trust uh, sponsored a, a golf tournament over the past weekend, and um, there were lavish parties that were part of the, the sponsorship that they did for their corporate clients and for their um, uh, their, their top tier of clients. and it, it really caused a backlash that um, they were having these lavish parties. I mean it, it, it's, it's as simple as that sometimes. Um, it, it really means uh, for a lot of institutions being a lot smarter about what happens and how they do things so that they can restore that sense of, of consumer trust and confidence. At the same time, I think one of the second things that they'll be focused on is um, bringing back um, the credit markets. I think that that's going to be very important. Um, all of the, the the institutions that have been involved in TARP up to this point, and that have been involved in with, uh, and that probably will be involved with CAP, have been lending to small business. They have been lending to corporates, and they have been willing to lend to consumers. Um, part of the challenge, I think, is that. Um, if you looked at the the credit system in the U.S. Um, prior to this recession slash meltdown, whatever you want to call it, um, a lot of credit was extended by um, specialty lenders, and some, a lot of those, especially in the mortgage world, have simply gone out of business. So I, I think that what we have, what we'll be seeing as well, is from the credit perspective. Um, Trying to, institutions trying to really figure out how they can step up and um, provide the levels of credit that um, small businesses need, that consumers need, that corporates need. Um, So I think that that's um, a a second major story, bringing back the credit markets. And um, the third, I think, is for banking is what happens um, or what are the needs of uh, consumers and small business and corporate, if this recession drags on longer than we think it might, um, I, I believe that uh, um, Mr. Bernanke the other day said that he thought that this could wrap up in 2009 and 2010 could be a year of recovery. Um, that would be great. But if for some reason it doesn't, um, and through no necessarily fault of an institution or the um, um, The the new administration, it could be something that happens in the global financial system that has a negative impact. But if if things drag on further, um, I I think that that could be part of what happens, what we talk about in 2009. I think there will be a lot of watchful waiting. I think a lot of, there will be a lot of stories about, uh, that have to do with people holding their breath, waiting, you know, hopefully Trying to get through this so that we can quote unquote get back to normal, and so I think a lot of uh, what we'll be talking about in 2009 is, you know, are there bright spots that tell us we are going to be back to normal in 2010, or that we'll be in a recovery in 2010, or are we looking, are, are we going to be seeing signs that perhaps this is going to drag on longer? I think that's going to be the other story for, for 2009. You know, a, a constant taking uh, the temperature of the system. Um, and and looking for bright lights or or negative news and and reacting accordingly.
0: Well, Kathleen, I look forward to checking back in with you this year to see where we're headed.
1: Oh, that would be great. (laughs) And I hope
0: it's good news. We all do. I appreciate your time and your insight today, Kathleen. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. very welcome.
0: We've been talking with Kathleen Carolla, managing director and practice leader with Tower Group's Banking Practice. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.